You know, I don't know how many of you like exams, how many of you like examinations and tests, and yet nobody really likes exams, whether it was a driving test or whether it was a, a test at school. You know, a lot of our guys have gone off to university last week and this week and, or going back to college or to school, and there will be those examinations and tests. It's not just at school that you get exams and tests, you get them all over the place. In fact, a few years ago, myself uh, and a friend, he's a worship leader here in the church that plays guitar and it's not Luke but I won't tell you who it is, uh, we both decided that we were unfit. It wasn't much of a decision. It was pretty obvious that we were unfit. And so we went to the gym over the road here. How many of you are members of a gym? Any of you? Okay. <laughs> Something like that. We went over to the gym and we said, we want to join the gym because we want to get fit. And the woman looked at us and said, you need to do a lot before you even join the gym. <laughs> and we said, what do you mean? She says, you need to go through a health test and we need to examine you and do lots of different things to see where you're at, see whether we'll even let you be in the gym. So they did a whole load of tests on us, which involved blowing into tubes and doing things with our arms and our legs and being weighed and all this. And then when she had the results, and I am not exaggerating, this is the truth, she had all the results before her. She looked at the chart on the wall and the chart had a whole series of categories that you can put people in. Excellent, good, average, poor. She looked at our results, she said, we don't have a category for you two. <laughs> I said, that's because we're more than excellent. No, it was the other end. It was the other end. So that wasn't a very positive experience of an examination for me. But you know, when you're at school or when you're doing exams, then, then you have that question. And, and kids are great at writing really cute answers and really clever answers. So here's one on an examination question. Name six animals that live in the Arctic. Someone said two polar bears and four seals. <laughs> Nothing wrong with their maths. Here's another one. What is the highest frequency noise that a human being can register? And one kid wrote Mariah Carey. <laughs> I love that. And then this is a cute one. The question was, what is a fibula? And some kid wrote a little lie. Oh, a little lie, a fibula. But you know, life is full of tests and life is full of examinations. There is nothing as big as a test or an examination as the next verse that we're going to look at in Psalm 23. Because in Psalm 23 verse 4, it says this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the shadow of death in some translations, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The message translation puts it like this. Even when the way goes through death valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. And the big idea I want to talk to you about this morning is this, that whatever you walk through in life, you never have to walk alone. Whatever you walk through in life, you never have to walk through alone. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, maybe you've not said yes to him and you've not accepted this all and you're checking it out or you're here at church because a friend brought you or whatever. I want you to know being a Christian, giving your life to Jesus does not mean that you won't ever have any challenges in your life. It doesn't mean that. Okay, I'm going to be very real with you about that. What it does mean is this, whatever challenges you have, you will never, ever have to walk through them alone. Now, what we're going to look at this morning is that we're going to zero in on three things. We're going to look at the valley of the shadow of death. We're going to zero in then on the shepherd, and then we're going to zero in on the sheep, which is you and me. So let's look at the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I found this through research many years ago, and a guy called Max Licato wrote a book called Travelling Light, and, and many of the things I want to share with you are in that book. I want to credit him because it's so great what he's found. But in my research as well, I also discovered that the valley of the shadow of death was a literal place. It literally exists. 
And David, as a shepherd in Israel at the time, would have known that this was a literal place. And it's a four and a half miles long valley. And uh, it's a very, very scary valley. The, the cliffs are 1,500 feet high. It's very narrow in parts. There's some gullies. There's some uh, bits that fall away. There's some, you can fall over the end of the cliff. There are lurking in there. There are robbers. There are wild animals. And in the day of, of, of David, leading a, a flock of sheep through the valley of the shadow of death was a tough thing. But here's the thing. They led them through because on the other side of this four and a half mile long valley was the greenest, richest pastures around. Now, many shepherds would not take their sheep through the valley of the shadow of death because it was just too difficult. But a good shepherd would do it, even though it was difficult for the sheep and even though it was difficult for him because of what was the other side of the valley. So it's a literal place. But I think when David wrote this, he knew the literal place. But what he's really talking about is a symbolic place. He's saying that in life, when God leads you, you will go through periods of life which are like the valley of the shadow of death. They're really difficult. They feel really long. There's things lurking in the, in the cliffs and in the caves. You're not sure whether you're going to make it. But do you know what? When you do make it, when you pass through and you get through to the other side, you discover the greenest and the richest pastures that you've ever known. It's a symbolic place. It talks Now, it's a shadow of death. Now, a shadow can't hurt you, right? Right. But a shadow has to have substance or it doesn't exist. So there's a tension here between real things and the threat of real things. And we need to connect those together. And this talks about the valley of the shadow of death. And I think this verse is the verse which makes people associate Psalm 23 with death. And I understand that. Because you see, in our culture, um, you know, when I was growing up, which was a long, long time ago, um, you didn't talk about certain things, okay? So not many people used to talk about sex or religion or politics or money. But now everybody talks about all those things. But the one thing that is still a taboo in our culture that nobody wants to talk about is death. Nobody wants to talk about death. It's the ultimate statistic. One out of every one of us is going to die, but nobody wants to talk about it. What we will do is we'll make jokes about it. So uh, in fact, on, on epitaphs, you know, on tombstones, you see some funny things written. Apparently this one is, is actually on a tombstone somewhere from 1690. And it says this. Here lie the bones of Joseph Jones, who ate while he was able. But once overfed, he dropped down dead and fell beneath the table. It goes on. When from the tomb, to meet his doom, he arises amidst sinners. Since he must dwell in heaven or hell, take him, whichever gives the best dinners. So I don't know who thought about that. And there's one for a dentist here. Stranger, tread this ground with gravity. Dentist Brown is filling his last cavity. Ouch. And then true story as well. And I've told this before. Many years ago, I, I was doing a funeral and there was a, the service at the church first, that one, before it was burnt down. Uh, and then there was the committal at the crematorium. And an elderly gentleman came to the service and, and just had a brand new sat-nav. And, and so he didn't know where the crematorium was. So we helped set his sat-nav so that he could go from the church to the crematorium. Uh, and then when we went to the crematorium, the service is going on. He's not there, so we thought he must have got lost. The service is going on. He comes in at the back. He sits down. Just as it goes quiet after a prayer, his sat-nav goes off. And literally, it says this. You have arrived at your final destination in the middle of a funeral. <laughs> and you see, we, we, we'll talk about death, and we'll even laugh and joke about it. But will we really talk about it and understand what it really is all about? But, you know, I think that this metaphor isn't just about literal death. I think it's even deeper and broader than that. 
I think it's a metaphor to symbolise anything that we pass through in life where there's loss involved or where there's the threat or the fear of loss. Because when there's a threat or fear of loss, when loss actually happens, it feels like death, doesn't it? And David says, even though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, where there's loss and there's this sense of death, do you know what? I will not walk through it alone because you are with me. And into this place, God speaks. And I want to say, maybe for you, it's a physical thing that you're going through right now. Maybe your valley of your shadow of death is a physical thing. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational or emotional or spiritual. Maybe it's work-related or family-related. In the past, hundreds of years ago, Christians used to call these experiences the dark night of the soul. That even though they loved God and they knew that God loved them, they would go through these experiences and they called them the dark night of the soul. You don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know whether you'll survive. But the one big question you're asking is, God, are you here in the middle of this dark night of my soul? Six years ago, uh, we had our 30th uh, celebrations as a church. And it was a great time. We had a two-week series of celebrations. We had 20 people from overseas that we flew over. People that we're related to in Albania, Bulgaria, and Africa, and India. And we had a great, we had a great time uh, with, with all these guys and girls. And um, during that two weeks, uh, we also launched our first capital campaign where we went to you as a church and looking to raise £750,000, which we did, which was amazing. So it was a great time, and it was a challenging time. And right at the end of that, in fact, just literally after, as, as some of these guys and girls who were friends of mine were about to fly home, my dad passed away. Many of you will remember my dad. and He was an elder in this church and long before I came in this church, was, was a member of this church. And, and so we went through that period of the great celebration and, and all of that. And then my dad died. And then just a little bit after that, Simeon, our youngest son who has learning disability, he went into a whole meltdown period. We don't know whether it was because of, of his granddad dying or whether it's because of uh, hitting hormones uh, with his complexity of needs. But he went through a whole meltdown period over about six to eight months. And it got so bad at times that we had to lock Josh, his brother, in his room at night for safety. He trashed the house. He hurt us. He hurt other people. He was really out of control. And we went through a dark night of the soul. And it got so bad that we had to ask social services to help us, which they did. And in the end, in the following February, he went into residential care. And that was six years ago. And you know, through that period, it, when you're in the middle of it, you just don't ever think it's going to end. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, but you know, the other side of it, you look back and say, do you know what? It was horrible. I'd never want to walk through it again. But you know what? I know this. I didn't walk through it alone. Because God said that whatever you walk through in life, you will never, ever have to walk through alone. And you know, not quite so bad as that, and certainly personally, but four weeks ago, when I got back from South Africa, very tired uh, and then went to bed on the Saturday, was awoken by my wife shaking me at five o'clock in the morning because my phone, I wasn't listening to my phone at five o'clock in the morning after uh, uh, no sleep for two days. But she was shaking me saying, the church is burning down, the church is burning down. I thought, is this a dream? Is this a nightmare? It wasn't. It really wasn't. And you know, uh, over that three weeks, that first three weeks, it was, I mean, it was great the way the church responded, but there was something really nagging in my head and that was to do with the insurance. And we knew we were covered but it's such a big claim that the forensic scientists working for the loss adjuster, and I won't bore you with all that, they were basically trying to look for anything, any little bit of detail. And then a week last Friday in the afternoon, they contacted us to say, there's an issue here. We want to see a certain certificate for one certain little thing that exists in that building. 
So in the afternoon, Friday afternoon, a few of us got in the boardroom next door and we got all of the stuff out and we went, got all of the folders out and we sat for hours pouring over all this stuff. And we have hundreds of certificates, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of little things, but we couldn't find the certificate for the one thing that they wanted. And it felt like a dark night of the soul to me. Because on that Friday afternoon, I thought, do you know what? We've done all this stuff right. And if we've missed one little tiny certificate and it means they don't pay up, what are we going to do then? But you know what? On the Monday, they contacted us to say, hey, you didn't even need it anyway. And they were going to pay up. But all through that experience, a little, it can feel like a valley of the shadow of death. All these things, these threats, these lurks, these fears, these other things. But you know what? When you walk through those things, you discover something that you never discover anywhere else. That whatever you walk through in life, you never walk through it alone. I don't know about you this morning. I don't know about what you're going through. Let me give you some facts about the valley experience. Number one, it's a reality. There's a myth out there that bad things shouldn't happen to good people. Someone said it's easy to think you've mastered Shakespeare if all you have on your shelves is the comedies. There's a whole load of other stuff to Shakespeare than the comedies. And Jesus faced it as well. His valley was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he knew he was going to die. And he went through that valley and we'll talk about that later. But you know, in those points is where you really need to dig into God. And Philip Yancey, a great writer who's, who's, who's in heaven now, he said this, in the presence of certainty, who would need faith at all? So there are moments you go through which they are uncertain. You don't know how they're going to work out. But in the presence of certainty, who needs faith at all? Faith is what you need in the midst of uncertainty, isn't it? And that's what you experience. So it's, it's a reality. Secondly, it's a necessity. There's no other way for the sheep to get to the great pasture the other side. Now, I'm not saying that God causes these things. But when these things happen, God can work in them and he can take you through them to some greater richness the other side. Job, a character in the Bible, he knew about shadows of death more than anyone else. He said, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. When he has tested me, when I've gone through this valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to come out the other side and I'm going to be better. And it's going to be richer experience because of having gone through it. Not everything is a test, but we can experience richness when we pass through the valley. So it's a reality. It's a necessity. But thirdly, listen, it's temporary. Hello? It's temporary. He says, when I walk through, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to stay in residence there. I will pass through eventually. It's temporary. And I know that when you're in the midst of a valley, it feels like it's going to last forever. And for some of you, you may say, that's all right for you, Leon. Yours lasted six months or so, but mine's lasted years. I get that. But I want you to know, in the light of eternity, it is temporary. You will pass through it at some point in the future. But whatever you walk through in life, you never, ever have to walk alone. So let's zero in on the shepherd for a moment. What does the shepherd do when he's through the valley of the shadow of death with the sheep? Well, let's look at his equipment. See, no good shepherd heads to the valley unprepared. And in Bible days, he would have worn a coat that was made out of sheepskin. That's really interesting to me. And when I did some research, I found this little thing about a shepherd from the days. And he wrote this, my sheep, and the question was, why would you wear a, 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 cloak, a, a skin, out of, a sheepskin and lead sheep? And this is what he wrote, my sheep like to see me looking like one of them. It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? It's almost like when we go through the dark valleys, the sheep look round for their leader and they want to know that their leader looks like them. They want, they want to see someone who's so up and front, who's so out of reach, who's so out of touch, but they want to look at someone who looks like them because there's identification and they can trust that. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, 
We don't have a priest, and that's talking about Jesus, who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weaknesses and testing, experienced it all. In other words, he's got skin on just like us. He looks just like us. So let's walk right up to him and get what he's ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. I love that. Not only has he got this sheepskin coat, but he's got a rod and a staff. You know the little kid on the, on the, on the video? He's got a rod and a staff. And that's there to fend off animals and threats, but also to yank us back when we slip or stumble or stray. But also what I think is the most amazing thing about the shepherd is his position. You see, normally the shepherd in Israel would lead the sheep from the front, not from the back. He'd lead them from the front. But when it comes to the valley of the shadow of death, he changes his position. Because the situation demands a different kind of leadership. And so he heads, he's up front, but all of a sudden he comes alongside. Sometimes he comes at the back and coaxes the sheep on. Sometimes he gets right into the middle of the flock to whisper into their ear. He changes his position. And I want to show you that from reading the psalm again. And notice the language that changes in this psalm. See if you pick it up. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Now look at the shift. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You notice the shift. He's gone from he to you. That's because in the valley of the shadow of death, you get to really know God rather than just know about him. That when it's at that darkest when there's that, because of God, my heart is turning violently inside of my chest. God, are you really able? You make that shift from he to you. He means I know about God. You means I know God. And I can only say looking back that in that period for us, that was a time when it was horrible. But in that midst, there was a shift from where God can you, he, he to you, 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 God, you did that. You provided, you met us, you strengthened us. You never let us walk alone through that valley experience. You know, Job said, again, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Maybe you're going through something right now, folks. And maybe God is at work in the midst of that. And maybe one of the biggest shifts that can ever happen for you is for him to change the language in your life from he to you. To knowing about God, to really knowing God for yourself. Whatever you walk through in life, you never have to walk through it alone. So let's zero in finally on the sheep, which is you and I. The key word in this verse, I think, for us to think about is the word walk. Even though I walk through the valley. In other words, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to make a mad dash. But neither am I going to stand still and hope that it all goes away. Or, and I'm showing my age here. Do you remember Dallas first time around? Anyone out there? And you remember those series where the fella, or was it a girl, woke up in a shower and the whole series had been a dream? Do you remember that? Some, have you ever been through something in life where you think, I'm going to wake up and it will have all been a bad dream? Have you ever been through that? Th that's not dealing with it. We walk through the valley. We don't run through. We don't avoid. We don't pretend it doesn't exist. We walk through the valley and we will come out the other side eventually. How will we do it? Well, we've got to look at our shepherd. Let's look at our good shepherd, Jesus. In Luke 22, it says this. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. 
On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. See, Jesus knew that this was his valley of the shadow of death. Not just a shadow, but he knew there was a real substance here. He knew that he was going to head towards the death. He said, pray you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. And this is what he prayed to his father. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. In other words, God, I don't want to do this. Anyone ever said that? I don't want to go through this. I do not want to go through this valley. Take it away. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Listen, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And at that moment, he knew that he wasn't going to walk through it alone. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I want to give you just a few things as, as I finish. And I, I hope this morning that these aren't, you don't see these as little like kind of trite self-help kind of points because it's much deeper than that. But, but these are so important and I've learned and I'm learning to try and put these into my life. When you go through a valley of shadow of death, what are you going to do? Number one, you have to enter in. Don't try to avoid it. It's one of the biggest temptations is to try and avoid it. Try and do anything you can not to go in. So we'll pretend it doesn't exist or we'll eat our way out of it or we'll shop our way out of it or we'll just do anything we can to distract us. No, you've got to enter into it fully and walk through it. Over the summer, I finished reading a book by a guy called Brian Houston. Some of you will know who he is. He is the lead pastor, founder of Hillsong in Australia. But now Hillsong churches are all around the world. Uh, Their music is legendary across the church. We sang a Hillsong song this morning, God is Able. And in the book, uh, which I, and I, I didn't know this thing about Brian Houston's life, but his father, Frank Houston, was a, a very famous preacher that was a, 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 um, in charge of the whole denomination that they were a part of and very, very famous around the world. And he was Brian's hero and mentor. And when Brian had, and, and his wife, Bobby, had started the church and the church was going well in Hillsong. And, and in 1999, and he says this in the book, he says, I took a call from someone in our denominational executive leadership. And they said, listen, Brian, I need to tell you, there's been some serious sexual allegations against your father, Frank. And in the book, he writes, he writes about it. And he said, and do you know what? After that day and that moment, in the weeks and the months that happened after that, we realized that all of those allegations were true. And he writes really honestly in the book about what that did to him, what that's still doing to him and his family, his relationships, and everything. You can't even begin to get your head around that, can you? But he writes towards the end of the book this, and I read this over the summer. He said this, I find myself reliving the realities of that day in 1999 and still dealing with and navigating the effects of such a difficult journey. Yet I have learned that when we walk through the valley of the shadow, when we turn a corner and glimpse a difficult path filled with pain and heartache, we can only go forwards. Not denying it, not denying it doesn't hurt like crazy. But when you come to a valley, you've got a choice to make. Are you going to enter in and go forwards or what? That is the only way to go through it. And when you go through it and you enter in, you've got to take it to God every step of the way. He's got skin on like yours. He puts skin on like yours. He knows what you're going through. And hold nothing back. Be real about what's happening to you. You know, I shared that this morning with you about seminar, and I've said that before about six years ago. <laughs> God has is amazing, doesn't he? And then this week that we've just been through is probably the worst week we've been through with Simeon in the last six years. So on Tuesday, we got a call that he'd had a meltdown, and uh, 
It involved him running off. It involved him biting someone, putting them in hospital. It involved him smashing his head, putting himself in hospital. It involved police coming, putting him in the back of a van, etc., etc. And then on the Wednesday, we had another call to say that he'd had a seizure which he's never had before. And so he was in hospital and we were in hospital with him for hours and he's all wired up to, to different machines, etc., etc. And learning disability kids have a high propensity towards epilepsy. And one of the things we've always been grateful to God about for Simeon is that he doesn't have epilepsy. And here he was having a seizure on Wednesday. And I have to tell you that even though we'd walked through a valley of shadow of death with Simeon some years ago, sometimes you find yourself in there again, don't you? And the reality that comes there is that I have to tell you, some of my conversations with God this week have been very real, very real and very earthy. Does that mean I don't trust God? No. But does it mean that I'm finding it difficult? Absolutely, yes. And some of you know exactly what I mean, don't you? Because you've had those kind of conversations with God too, haven't you? And, And we've had them together this week. But you know, there's something very specific about going through these valleys and being specific about the way you pray. And we're being specific. You know, Jesus prayed, take this cup from me, I don't want it. We're praying, God, please don't let Simi have epilepsy. With all of the other challenges he's having, please don't let that be the case. He hasn't had a seizure since Wednesday, but we don't know what that means. But here's the thing, and I need to preach to myself here. When Jesus said, take this cup from me, he also then said, but not my will, but yours. And at that point, the angel touched him. And so when we're praying, God, please don't let Simeon have epilepsy. If that is the case, then we're going to have to say, but God, we need to trust you in the midst of that as well. You see, there's an incredible story in the Old Testament about three friends of Daniel that were thrown into a fire. And um, the Bible says that, that what they said to the king was, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. We believe our God is able, don't we? That's what they say. He's able to do it and he'll deliver us. But even if he does not, We want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Jesus said, take this cup from me. God, you're able. But if you don't, I'm going to trust you anyway. And maybe for you and maybe for us and maybe for me, we need to come to a point where we say, I'm going to walk through this valley. I'm going to take it to God. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be specific. But God, if I'm going to have to carry this cup, if I'm going to have to go through it, then I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to trust you anyway. And a a quote that I've tweeted many times and people find it difficult to get their head around and so do I. Mike Yekinley said, the Jesus who can rescue you is the one you can trust even when you're not rescued. The Jesus who can rescue you is the one you can trust even when you're not rescued. Jesus wanted the Father to take away the valley, but ultimately he trusted him no matter what. And at that point, the angel came and strengthened him because you see, whatever you walk through in life, You will never have to walk through alone. You know, guys, you're going to make a discovery in your valley you wouldn't make anywhere else. You see, you may be facing death, but you don't have to face it alone. You may be facing unemployment, but you don't have to face it alone. You may be facing a marriage breakup. You don't have to face it alone. You may be facing financial pressure. You do not have to face it alone. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Just after the fire, a couple of weeks, I've said this, I think, already. I mean, you know, we now, in our staff, we determine life by before fire or post fire. Okay? That's how we tend to talk about the timeline. But just after the fire, somebody sent me an email. And attached to it was a reading that they'd read in their devotions. And it works around the phrase, even though. And I want to read it out to you this morning. Because I think the phrase, even though, is really powerful. Because the verse in the psalm says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though this is tough, 
I'm going to trust you. So what I'd like you to do is just to close your eyes for a moment, okay? And I'm going to read out all these phrases. And I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit just to be at work now. And for some of these phrases, or maybe one of them, to resonate with you this morning. And every phrase is kind of got an even though. And there's a sense in which you say, oh God, take this cup from me. But even though you don't, God, I'm going to respond to you. So just close your eyes for a moment. Just let the Holy Spirit work. And it says this. And He invites you this morning. He invites you to do certain things, even though it's tough. So He invites you today to take His hand, even though it means letting go of what you're holding on to. He invites you to please His heart, even though it may not please others. To wait for His time, even though your desire is to get it done now. He invites you to obey His word, even though you hear something different that is popular. He invites you to follow His path, even though you see a valley ahead. To trust His wisdom, even though you want to do it differently. To give Him praise, even though you're going through something unpleasant. And finally, He invites you to be at rest, even though you have reasons to worry or even to fear. So Father, we come to you this morning. And the reality and the, the mess and the pain and the uncertainty of our lives. And we say, God, even though it's like this, and even though we don't understand everything, and even though we wish other things, these things weren't as they are, even though all of that, God, we choose to trust you in the midst of it. And we choose to walk through our valley. And we choose, God, to put our hand into your hand and to let you lead us because you have promised and you have committed that whatever we walk through, we will never, ever have to walk through it alone. So God, this morning, I want to invite myself and others to make that response again, to say, Lord, here I am. I'm going to trust you. God, would you come and strengthen me like you sent the angel to Jesus? Would you come and touch me and show me again that I'm not walking through this alone? But God, I need to respond and I need to choose. And God, I need to walk. And maybe even, God, I just need to stand so that I can begin to walk. So that's you this morning. And you are going through the valley of the shadow of death. But you're saying today, I'm going to trust Him even though it's tough. I want to ask you to stand this morning. If that's you this morning, we're right across this place, I want to ask you to stand. And you're saying, I am standing because this is tough. But even though it's tough, I'm going to stand. And the moment that you stand, you begin to say, and I'm going to walk. I am not going to run away. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist. I'm not going to wait till I wake up in the shower and it was all a bad dream. I'm going to walk through this trusting in your name. And what I want to do, folks, is that people who are sat around now, I want you to open your eyes. There are some people here, friends, community, people you know or don't know around you. And what I want you to do is I want you to move to them right now, some of you, and just put your hand on their shoulder while I pray for them, okay? Just because I I want them to know physically that they're not going to walk through this alone. They're not going to walk through this alone in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And as I pray... Uh, just, just don't tune out now as I pray, okay? 
I want to share a couple of prophetic things. At the first service, someone came to me afterwards and he said this. As you were praying for people, I saw mud and straw. He said, and it was almost like God was saying that for some of us this morning, you look at your life and it all, all it looks like at the moment is mud and straw. And you think, what on earth am I going to do with this? And then he said this, but if you go to Africa, they take mud and their straw and they put it together and they mix it with a few other things and they build houses out of it. And the mud and the straw that you see in your life is something that God can turn into something beautiful and something purposeful, if only you'll let in. And the second thing I want to share prophetically is this, that at the end of the first service, off the notes, I really felt God remind me of a story about a woman called Florence Chadwick. And she was, she was swimming across, across, across a sea and nobody had ever done it before. And she swam for 20 odd miles and she was, she was so tired and so exhausted and the fog was settling so thick and she couldn't see anything in front of her and she was so tired and she couldn't see anything because of the fog. And so she turned and she swam all the way back. When the fog lifted, she was only less than half a mile away from her destination. And I felt God say this, that there are some of us here this morning and we're so close to quitting and God wants to say to you, don't quit now. You're quitting too early because the fog can lift in any moment and you can be there. Don't quit too soon. Don't quit too soon. So Father, we want to pray for all these folks standing up right now. We want to say, God, would you come close to them in Jesus' name? Just like you sent that angel to strengthen Jesus, would you, God, come and strengthen these folks in Jesus' name? God, would you pour your mercy and your love into them? God, I pray that even though they're walking through this valley, they will not let go of you. And God, you've already promised that you will not let go of them. So Holy Spirit, would you strengthen them now in Jesus' name we pray. Would you come in Jesus' name. Why don't you just join me and pray. Jesus' name, would you come and just strengthen them, Lord, I pray. Breathe your fresh energy and your life and your power into their lives in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you'd even begin to speak prophetically into their lives. That you'd open up, God, your mouth. Your word gives life. One word. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. God, there's life in every single one of your words. Would you speak into their lives, I pray, right now, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. And we commit them to you. And we say, God, thank you for them. And thank you that you will walk through this with them. You will walk through it with them, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. and We can only really sing this song written several years ago now, taken straight out of the psalm that we've just been looking at, straight out of the verse. And as we sing it, let's not just sing it as a song that finishes the service. Let's sing it as a prayer and let's sing it as a declaration of intent, okay? You may not feel like it. To be honest with you, I don't feel like it today. I really don't. But I'm going to sing it because I know it's true. And deep down in my stomach and in my soul and in my spirit, I say, God, I'm not going to let go of you no matter how tough it gets. Because one day there will be a light that shines. And one day this song says, all this stuff will be over. But until that day, I'm going to follow you anyway. Because you're a good shepherd. Where else am I going to go? You are the goodest shepherd, if that's a word, on the planet. I'm going to put my hand into your hand and I'm going to go through it. Amen. Let's sing it together.